Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. In the midst of the pandemic, it's particularly hard to be the official opposition in the federal government. With all the attention focused on the government's actions in dealing with COVID-19, people are not paying attention to much else. For the Northumberland Peterborough South MP, Philip Lawrence, there is a lot to keep him busy. In an interview today, you will hear exactly what he's been doing over the past six months since we last spoke, as well as getting an idea of what to expect in 2021. Then we switch gears. For those who are homeless or living in the margins in Northumberland, looking ahead is a luxury. Staying warm, finding shelter, and something to eat is a priority. Just surviving a day is an accomplishment. As you will hear in an interview with members of the Greenwood Coalition, there is something you can do to help these people. On February 20th, the coldest night of the year walkathon is taking place. You will hear what this is all about and how it will make a difference for those facing homelessness, addiction, or are struggling to survive. But first, here is my interview with Northumberland Peterborough South MP, Philip Lawrence. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Philip Lawrence, MP for Northumberland Peterborough South. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you, and I'm always pleased to be here. It's great to spend time with you, Rob. Thank you. The last time we spoke, Aaron O'Toole had just won the party leadership back in August. How would you rate the job he's done since then? Oh, I, I think uh, I think Aaron's done a fantastic job. Um, I think he's uh, he's been able to communicate the fact that um, in, in the fact that we need to have more people look in the mirror and they need to see a conservative looking back at them, right? And broadening and broadening our tent, uh, our voter ceiling. I don't think it's a secret. Rob has been uh, lower than what we would like it to be, um, and so in in reaching out and making our tent a little bit bigger uh, and getting people from uh, from different perspectives and different backgrounds to join our cause for individual liberty and freedom, uh, I think has been, I think he's done a fantastic job. Back in September, you were named as the shadow minister for national revenue. What does that job entail? Yeah, so the, the the way you can sort of look at it, if you get it right down to brass tacks, is uh, we're the critic for the Canada Revenue Agency, right? So it's not exactly the worst position in the world, Rob, because uh, uh, there aren't a huge amount of people who are fans of the CRA out there. But in all in all respect, I should say that the folks at the CRA work very hard, and especially during the pandemic, they did a fantastic, a fantastic job um, in terms of getting money out the door quickly to Canadians. Many of the civil servants worked around the clock. Um, but where there are issues, it's my job to to point it out as a constructive opposition and say, hey, we can do better. So it was actually my great privilege and honor, Rob, um, to uh, to be one of the co-sponsors of a opposition day motion. We only had four this year, and for myself as a fairly new uh, shadow cabinet minister to to be one of the co-sponsors of it, and that was with respect to the wage subsidy. So uh, for for your listeners who don't know, 
the CRA decided to audit the wage subsidy and particularly small business owners. And we said, you know what? We respect that. That's a good idea, but just not now, not during the second wave of a pandemic, because these audits aren't, aren't like an individual audit where you might bring your T4 and maybe your babysitting slips and, and relatively small. These would, inc- these would incur, incur like thousands of dollars in professional fees, hundreds of papers being prepared. It just not wasn't the right time. And so the CRA actually backed down, Rob. Uh, and so we were able to get a victory there. So that was one of the highlights uh, for me in, in 2020. I also know at the same time, though, we're not critical also of the CERB program and the number of repayments in the CERB program. I know you stood in the house and spoke on this as well. Yeah, so that's that's a great uh, it's a great question. What what uh, what we need to do is is clarify though the what I was critical of the CRA is the way they communicated uh, the CERB benefits. Particularly, uh, there's now a controversy, Rob, between gross and net income for small business owners. The CRA has come out and said we weren't clear. We weren't clear. Uh, the government has come out and said we weren't clear, and that's if, and that's a big deal because that meant a lot of people, a lot of small business owners, and those aren't nest these aren't the folks who necessarily own like the home hardwares and larger. These are folks who are artists who maybe have a small fledgling new business. These are sole proprietors. And so they were told more or less, yeah, go ahead and apply for the CERB. And then they got a letter saying, well, no, you weren't supposed to get it, uh, which put uh, in a very challenging situation. So we, we to be clear, Rob, we want uh, everyone who was entitled to the CERB to get the CERB, but where the government uh, made mistakes in communicating it, uh, we, we believe that they should own up to that as well. But I also noticed too, even in another interview you did at the year end, um, you were talking about uh, how in opposition you had asked the Prime Minister to expand benefit uh, back in March from 10% up to 75% for wage yeah. subsidies. And yet I, I was looking through and, and I couldn't find any place where the credit went to the opposition. In fact, I saw that uh, there were various business groups. I think the uh, Canadian Federation of Independent Business, the United Steelworkers, uh, Canadian Business Council of Canada, Canadian Chamber of Commerce, all of those were very, very vocal back in March about this program. The fact that they were only going to offer up to 10% and then after this wave of a protest, um, they raised it to 75%. How did, where did you guys fit into that? Because I couldn't see where your opposition came. Yeah, we were out right at, at the outset. I, I don't, I don't know, and I, I couldn't source it right now. But if you gave me some time, Rob, I certainly could. It's been a bit of a blur of a year, uh, but we were right out from the outset, and we supported the seventy-five percent. And uh, uh, I can remember actually being on Mark Rockburn's uh, show and, and talking about that early on, uh, about the fact that it needed to be seventy-five percent. So that was that was right early on, um, and uh, I'm sure I could source that and find that for you. But we we definitely believed, uh, like during the early days of the pandemic. Um, that we needed to get the wage subsidy out there quicker um, because the wage subsidy, the CERB, uh, we certainly supported that program and we're on record from supporting from the beginning. But if given our druthers, and I think 99% of Canadians, would you rather have your job protected which, with the wage subsidy where you can continue in, in an employment situation or would you rather have that job disappear and go on to the CERB? Most would prefer the wage subsidy as opposed to having their, their uh, employment terminated. So uh, if, if we were going back again uh, we would say do the same thing with the CERB uh, except for you, you miscommunicated you didn't do a great job of communicating you did do a great job of getting it out the door quick but get the wage subsidy out as quick if not quicker so 
we can protect as many jobs as we can. Why is your party so critical, though, of, of the way that things are rolling out right now with the vaccine? I, I mean, again, this is all new to us. Uh, you know, when has there ever been a time in modern memory where we've had to roll out uh, this level of, of medical help to, to people? Um, how is it constructive then to turn around and be critical of, of something like this? Yeah, we want to be constructive. As I said, we want to have meaningful. We want to have meaningful solutions that help Canadians. It just and and you're right, Rob. This is a once in a generation time of rolling out this massive vaccine. And I get that, and I want to be clear on that. But when we look across other or other other jurisdictions in the world, it appears and still early days, Rob. Uh, it appears we're falling behind, right? It appears as though the United States has more access to vaccines than we do. It appears as though the United Kingdom has more access and earlier access uh, and a more robust vaccine rollout plan. Um, and so why, well, this is a once in a generation, there are other examples and we do appear uh, to not be in, in, the, in the top 10% or the top 15% or even the top 20% of, uh, of, um, of developed nations. You have introduced a private member's bill to expand Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act to include marketable natural gas and propane. Can you explain to those of us who may not fully understand what that means, uh, why that's significant and why you did it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's specifically to help our farmers, as, as you're probably well aware. Agriculture is one of the largest drivers in Canada, and also, uh, uh, just as importantly, one of the largest drivers of our economy right here in Northumberland, Peterborough South. So underneath the current uh, Greenhouse Gas Pollution Act, uh, farmers are exempt with respect to diesel, which is called colored fuel, and and gasoline. Okay. Um, in in other jurisdictions, such as British Columbia, um, the carbon tax there was given an exemption not only for farmers uh, for um, uh, for diesel and natural gas but also to uh, uh, propane as as well uh, and the reason why we uh, sorry natural gas and propane gas and diesel were we're adding uh, we're adding natural gas and propane that's the way it's done in most other jurisdictions including British Columbia we don't know it might have just been an oversight by the government but the the idea of the carbon tax or at least the way that the the liberal government has presented it is supposed to be revenue neutral it's supposed to change your behavior but not cost you any money. Um, with respect to farmers, uh, they've shown me bills that are tens of thousands of dollars, Rob, clearly not, not uh, revenue neutral. Our farmers have struggled over the last uh, uh, three or four or five years with low grain prices, with other issues. And so we wanted to, to, to extend this exemption. And you know what? Candidly, this uh, like we'll fight the carbon tax another day, uh, but this isn't a bill necessarily against the carbon tax. It's just in some ways it actually strengthens this uh, this legislation because it's an exemption um, that uh, that makes it make makes the legislation make more sense. That doesn't disproportionately hurt farmers, um, and that's why actually we have the NDP support, the Bloc Québécois potential support, and I've even uh, a Green Party member has also indicated support. So this isn't really about fighting the carbon tax. This is about taking taking legislation that's disproportionately hurting our farmers and, and fixing it. It's well known uh, that private member bills often die. Where are you at with, with this and how successful do you think you're going to be? Yeah, um, so uh, I'm in a, I'm in a strange position, Rob. Uh, so uh, uh, I I I don't want an election. I don't think now is the right time for for the election. Just I, I think we need to get through the wave and uh, through the second wave of COVID, get people vaccinated. Uh, we can we can look to an election after with that. In addition to that, my I want to keep uh, the 
government intact for my private member's bill uh, because actually we're working right the way through. We've gone through the, the first reading, we've done the second reading, uh, we'll get, we're gonna go to committee now uh, and we'll go and then we'll go back for a third reading and an eventual vote. Um, and so the, and we've got support of the NDP in the block uh, and even some liberal members have shown some tacit support, uh, including Wayne Easter in the house had some very positive comments in there. So everything is looking great. The only thing that I could see uh, right now, it's politics, so anything can happen, as you know, Rob. But the only way that I see my private members bill not becoming legislation is if the government falls. You spoke in the House of Commons recently about your support for Bill C-8 to amend the Citizenship Act. Yes. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so the C-8 is a very important uh, piece of legislation. It comes from the Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, I think it was recommendation number 93, if I'm not incorrect. Um, and that is to include uh, the treaty rights as well as Indigenous people in the in the citizenship. So it says, as a newcomer coming to Canada, um, they uh, they enter into Canada. Uh, at the One of the very first things that they will do is, is swear, swear an oath that includes their Indigenous peoples. As we walk the walk of uh, reconciliation, uh, we I think this is one of those uh, one of those steps. It's relatively a small step compared to some of the other uh, recommendations in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, uh, but it's another step along there. And I was very proud to support it. And actually, that was one of uh, I, I feel as though one of my most important. And uh, I think. Uh, if I could be so bold, is one of my best speeches um, in in, re, in recounting some of the um, the the atrocities that the uh, that the indigenous people have felt uh, from uh, fr fr from um, uh, women not being necessarily protected um, the way they should be with respect to uh, indigenous missing women um, and uh, the re residential schools where where small children were literally plucked from their homes uh, and forced to give up everything that they know. So I uh, was very proud to give that speech. Well, you did speak at Green Lake uh, about your oppos opposition to the treatment of Indigenous people. You mentioned Alderville and Hiawatha. You also were said you were appalled by the lack of clean drinking water, the missing and murdered Indigenous women, abuse, uh, residential schools. Now, many governments led by both Liberals and Conservatives have done little or nothing to resolve these and a host of other Indigenous issues. So what is your party prepared to do on these issues um, especially in light of the recent comments by your party leader that uh, he had to walk back earlier th this month. Yeah, and Aaron did apologize for those comments, and I, I, I know Aaron, and I know that he is a, uh, a, a, a supporter of Indigenous peoples across our lands and uh, is more than aware of the atrocities and the, the challenges that the Indigenous people have felt. Um, we'll, we'll certainly have our policy items coming out from that, uh, but what I can speak uh, from, from my heart um, as, the, as a representative of uh, uh, both the Hiawatha Nations, First Nations, as well as Alder that uh, it is it is at the very top of my list of priorities um, to to walk the walk of reconciliation to make sure that every indigenous child has an opportunity to be successful in this great country it's it's a black mark on our country it's uh, it's a tragedy that this has occurred uh, and it's it's one of the highest responsibilities I take being the representative from Northumberland Peterborough South to make sure that the people of Alderville and uh, and of Hiawatha feel as though they they're being uh, represented well in Ottawa. How do you feel about cancel culture? Yeah, I think we have to weigh both sides of, of this, right? I, I think we have to, part of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was, you know, 
we can't just shut our eyes to our history, right? That's the last thing we want to do uh, from other either side of the argument. And so we have to enter these things with our eyes wide open and say, you know what, uh, we were responsible for the and, and like you said, a conservative, liberal, uh, whatever the government, we were responsible for the residential schools. We own that, and now uh, part of it is acknowledging that truth and then moving forward from it. Um, does that does that mean that we should abolish all of Canadian history? I don't think so. Um, there were also many great achievements uh, by Canadians in the past, um, and there were many great prime ministers. Uh, and uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, I mean, uh, certainly was responsible for furthering the residential schools. But on the other hand, he also brought us the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, a major victory for democracy. Um, and so it's important. It's important for us not to 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 look at the truth, look at what actually happened, discuss it, be open, be adults about it, um, and to uh, where Canada failed, acknowledge that, and and try to make it better. Where Canada was successful, also to acknowledge and recognize that. Do you think that uh, Colonel Williams' statue out in front of Port Hope Town Hall should come down? Um, to be honest, Rob, I'll be real frank with you. Um, that's something I would uh, I'd love to discuss with uh, with people from all sides. Um, I just am not in a position to take a position at this point. Uh, uh, but I would certainly uh, I'd like to have a discussion um, with 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 uh, with stakeholders from all, all sides there. You often talk about small business in the house. And what would you be doing differently compared to what is being done now to save small business during this pandemic? Yeah. So uh, as we talked about, Rob, and, uh, and, uh, and we have to live in, 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 uh, in the real world in this. And uh, so I can't just say, you know what, if I were in government, I'd snap my fingers and everyone would have vaccines and everything would be back to, to, to business tomorrow. I, I get that. I, and I want to be clear and fair with the government on that. Um, but one of the key things is we have to, we have to get people uh, safely, most importantly, safely back to work. Uh, and how I define that would be getting the vaccines out as quickly as possible and I said, if you look across G7 nations, we, we appear to be falling behind. The second, the second part is that it would be rapid testing, um, that they, they almost worked hand in hand so that we can get people back to work quicker. And so we need to have rapid testing available um, to Canadians. I was talking to, and I, I can't say the name of the business, but a major business owner here in, in, uh, in Northumberland, Peterborough South, um, just this week. Uh, and their business uh, has, been, uh, has been greatly reduced uh, because of the lockdown. They want access to uh, at-home rapid tests. Um, and they, uh, unfortunately, they are not allowed by Health Canada. And so these are the types of examples where we ultimately, the solution will be getting businesses back to work through vaccines and rapid tests. Um, also, in the interim, we shouldn't be raising taxes. So the, so the Liberals have uh, have unfortunately raised taxes. They're uh, they are going to they've raised taxes on alcohol. They've they're announced that they're going to triple the carbon tax. They've already raised both those taxes, by the way. Um, they're also going to increase taxes um, on on Netflix as well. So um, so just so like no country has ever taxed themselves into prosperity. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, we need to reduce the burden on, on small business owners and we need to clear the field for them so that they can be successful. So thank you for the question. It's something I feel very passionate about. But how do we balance this all out? Because obviously the government is going into huge amounts of debt to cover all these costs. They've got to find some sources of revenue. And then they, if they don't, they find themselves then in an, in an election or in, in, in any sort of debate. 
trying to defend the fact that there's this going to be this huge debt coming out the other side. And how do we drive ourselves so deeply into debt? You were irresponsible. You could have raised a few taxes just to try and at least stem the tide. I mean, does, doesn't that sound like a, a reasonable strategy going in? No, I mean, there had to be some some spending. The challenge, there had to be. Like, we've supported the CERB, we've supported the, the Canadian wage subsidy. So um, the trouble is that only accounts for about half of the, the, the pandemic spending. Um, and so we've also seen money wasted, such as that money put towards a wee scandal. So we need to reduce that. And with respect to the debt and deficit, I don't think, I think it would be unreasonable to say that any government would not have, have run a deficit in 2020. Um, the question now, though, is how do we get out of it. Um, and so I've been calling for at least three months, maybe six months now, um, a fiscal anchor. Like, tell us tell us what your plan is to get out in debt and deficit. And that's part of getting some small business and business in, in general in Canada being successful. Because for capital investment to flow in here, for our, uh, in order for money to come to Canada to support our small businesses, and our businesses really across the spectrum, uh, we need to have a financial sustainability program. And We've already had one downgrade, Rob, and, and the, the, the analysts across the world are now saying to us, okay, you've run the debt and deficit, uh, you had to support your people, we get that, but what's the plan to get out of here? How are we going back to, how are we getting back to financial sustainability? And it's troublesome, it really is troublesome that the finance minister won't commit to any type of financial anchor. And for those of you who don't know what a financial anchor is, I'm sure most do, but it, it's, it's, it can be uh, a balance budget. You can say a balanced budget in 20 years. It can be a, a debt to GDP ratio, right? We're only going to have a percentage so much of debt to ratio, but something, some path. You can just think of it at your house, right? So you're racking up credit cards because you lost your job. Well, okay, I, I realize that we, we, we've lost our job, but what's our plan? We can't keep doing this forever. How are we going to get out of this? And, and the Minister of Finance won't give us that. So but isn't it, uh, I mean, one of the hallmarks of 2020 has been a sense of uncertainty of the future. So it, isn't it sort of counterintuitive to expect somebody to have a plan going forward when so much is still un, uncertain? I mean, we, we are starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, but we don't know how long that tunnel is. And what is that light? Is it an oncoming train or is it actually daylight? So, <laughs> you know, how, how do you compensate for that, though, in, in your argument? Yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll go to, as all politicians do, uh, quote Winston Churchill. Um, and uh, and so what, what uh, Winston Churchill said, uh, during, I believe it was during World War II, um, uh, and there's a lot of things in flux in World War II. What he said is that, you know what, is a plan may be useless, but planning is invaluable, right? Um, and so if, in fact, uh, the, uh, uh, the Minister of Finance, uh, Minister Freeland, comes out and says, you know what, we want to have a balanced budget by 2030, um, and you know what the world, they, we get the third wave or the fourth wave or this UK COVID pandemic or UK COVID that uh, is a strain that uh, is new and more uh, transferable comes to Canada in, in large fortune and, and it creates, uh, that's fine. We, we will not hold her to account. You have, my, you have my word on that if the world changes. But by not having any type of plan, it leaves us open as um, – as was once said by uh, by Lewis Carroll, um, you know what? If you don't have a destination, any road will do, which is scary. What are your plans for twenty twenty one? 
Um, so anything specific there or just you want to just go? Okay. Uh, sounds good. Yeah. So uh, number one is always to represent the people of Northumberland, Peterborough South. So I am hopeful. I, I am hopeful that uh, we will get the vaccine out and so that I will be able to go out and see and talk to people. Uh, I think uh, I think nearly every politician, if you ask them, what's your favorite part of their job? Uh, it's going out and talking to people. Um, and uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to um, and so looking forward to bringing those uh, discussions back secondly is I want to do a great job for for Aaron and for the country as a shadow cabinet minister for uh, for national revenue and holding a CRA in account and being that constructive opposition um, and uh, fighting for the taxpayers of Canada, of Canada. Um, and uh, and third um, uh, would be to uh, would be to uh, get my private members bill if, uh, through if we, if we can get that through Philip Lawrence, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today and have a very happy new year. Yeah, you too. And I wish everyone out there a happy new year. I've got a sneaking suspicion, Rob. I've got a sneaking suspicion that 2021 will be one of the greatest years in Canada's history. Uh, and I am looking forward to just a spectacular rebound from COVID-19 and Canada leading the way. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you then. All right. Thank you, sir. That was my interview with Philip Lawrence, MP for Northumberland, Peterborough South. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.